Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Week 14. These are the dozen players. Our guys. For this upcoming slate of fantasy football action, as always, Hayden Winks joins me and a special guest this time around. You know him from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. You also know him from the Ringer. It's Danny Kelly. <laughs> what a season for you, Danny. You know, you go into it with very little expectations. Yeah. It's not just maybe speaking of doing a podcast with Danny Heifetz, but also from being a Seattle Seahawks fan. Uh, <laughs> what a year. I'm sure we'll talk about that team as well. How are you doing? Buddy? Yeah, I'm doing excellent, man. Um yeah, it's funny because it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, I'm kind of playing with house money in terms of being a Seahawks fan. Like, we get a high pick. We're at the number two pick probably right now. Um, or two or three. I can't remember exactly how it's going to pan out. But um, so on on that side, it's awesome. On the yeah. other hand, like having expectations, and then when you fall short of those expectations, it kind of sucks. Like having hope sometimes isn't the best thing, you know, mm. just because then it's like, I came into the year not expecting anything. I was like not stressed whatsoever during Seahawks games. Now it's like I'm stressed again. Do you know what's interesting, though, about the discourse around the Seahawks? Like, you view these teams and, and hear about, you know, what everyone thinks of the Minnesota Vikings at times or the Miami Dolphins at times. It's always a question of, like, how long is this going to last? The New York Giants right. start the season. I haven't gotten that a single time about Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. Like, you're playing with house money yeah. in some regards. But also, if you just watch, people understand that this offense is just incredibly electric, incredibly entertaining, and hyper-explosive. It's funny because... Obviously, there's a, a million narratives with like the Russell Wilson versus Geno Smith thing and like how much better Geno Smith is. Right. This has been happening for 10 years. I, I swear, like, I'm not trying to like change history or gaslight you guys, but like this, the CX offense, vast majority of the time in the last 10 years has been almost unwatchable, like really hard to watch. Just the way that they play, everything is so frustrating for like most of the game, like 58 minutes. And then in the two minutes, like at the end of the game, until red zone kicks in and we all get jumped over to there and then it's Russell Wilson (laughs) hero ball. And that's what like, you know, the idea of it. But as you're saying, like there might even be some down moments at the beginning of games right now. And then Gino climbs out of it, you know, and it's It's just so much every single week. This offense is so much fun to watch. Honestly, like I can't remember having this much fun watching an offense. He's hitting some really incredible throws, you know, just like the, the, way that he runs the offense, how they draw it up and everything. Like, it's just smooth. It's just kind of, you know, like just the stress levels in my life are so much different than they were before. Like where like, I'm just so frustrated for like almost the entire game. And then they pull out a win at the end. My, my famous like thing, my, my sort of bit on the Seahawks was always like familiar feeling following a Seahawks win misery. (laughs) (laughs) Like every week I was just miserable, but then they won. You know, so anyway. I, I, I have to ask you, Geno Smith or CJ Stroud, you're going to have basically that decision this offseason. Yeah. Have you come to grips with th- these type of decisions yet? I mean, I think they should re-sign Geno. Say uh, to yeah. me, it's just like I, there's it's a coin flip with rookie with, with rookie quarterbacks, honestly. Yeah. And so, you know, even if I really like Stroud um, going into the year, I think it probably makes more sense for them to go grab like 
you know, Jalen Carter and just get a game record from the interior, like defensive line. If he's the next Aaron Donald or something similar to that, like go get that resign Gino. Obviously you're going to have to pay him a decent amount. He's not going to get top of the market money, but um, to me, everything he's doing is, is somewhat repeatable. It doesn't feel yes. like a fluke. It doesn't feel like they're, you know, it's like, this is like some parlor trick thing. They're just making it work like this. He's running their offense and he's running it really well. So I don't know. I think they should resign him. Well, this perfectly leads us into our first name. Again, a dozen of our guys ahead of week 14. Hayden, we'll kick it over to you first because you brought DK Metcalf to show and tell today. Uh, Obviously, the Seattle Seahawks are three and a half point home favorites against the Carolina Panthers who are coming off a bye. They're four and eight. Seahawks are seven and five. Total of 44 and a half here. It's pretty easy to make the case for DK Metcalf, but tell the people why. Well, I don't think people realize how much usage he's had over the last month. According to my model, he's the wide receiver four overall uh, in the last wow. month. Um, and he's actually a positive regression candidate. There's a couple of those uh, Geno Smith passes that were just out of reach for DK Metcalf in the end zone in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that these these type of games, you can see the regression really type, uh, kind of squeeze out. And if Ken Walker can't play, and that's kind of where it's trending right now, I think that the Seahawks could pass even more and they are definitely willing to pass the ball. Like over the last month of the season, uh, they are actually third in neutral pass rate as well. So we can see them really lean into this. And for some reason, I can't, I can't come to grips with this at all, but Vegas thinks that the Panthers are going to keep this thing close. Uh, the point spread is only like within four points, which I was kind of surprised by. Uh, so if we're in a close game and they're going to pass the ball and DK Metcalf's playing at this level and we, all agree that all these Geno Smith throws are translatable. We think these are sticky type of throws. I think this is the type of week where DK Metcalf can flash one of those 100-yard two-touchdown games. Yeah. I also had DK Metcalf on my list of guys. Um, you know, I love Tyler Lockett, too. I think you could probably put him in the same discussion. He's awesome. They're essentially running they're, – they're like over the last like five, six weeks, four, I think it's five weeks, they're, their stats are like almost identical. So, um, you know, take your pick, but – 27% target rate in the last five weeks for DK Metcalf. He's averaging 18.6 points per game in PPR, which is the wide receiver 10. Obviously, you're, you're saying your usage is even higher. Like He's got some touchdown regression coming, hopefully. Um, the other thing that I would add is, is his usage and the way that he's running routes and the way that they're like utilizing him in the passing game is like it's evolving over the last yep. like you know month, month and a half. Um, he's getting more short and intermediate stuff. Like he's, he, they're asking him to win early in the down um, rather than just being like an explosive downfield field stretcher, which he was a lot of the time with, you know, early in his career, which is, you know, understandable considering he was like still learning to play receiver. Um, but now he, his dot, his average depth of target, I believe, or his average uh, depth of air yards is like nine yards per, per play. And so um, that's quite a bit lower, I think, than normal. And it gives him a better floor in terms of like if you're playing in PPR, obviously he's just going to get more targets and more of those like short catches, but he still has the upside to like catch a deep bomb, that kind of deal. DK, don't I just called you DK? Sorry, I'm Dane DK. Kelly. Yeah. Uh, don't you think that's just natural though? Mm-hmm. Like when you escape a quarterback in Russell Wilson, who and let's not like you know completely brainwash people, had some good moments, of course, you know, and had some great seasons. Yeah, but when you escape where Russell Wilson wanted to throw the football, which was intermediate and downfield shots along the, along the sidelines that now someone who actually utilizes the middle of the field that, you know, DK Metcalf's route tree area where he's targeted is just going to expand from there as well. And to your point, like 42% of his targets this year are within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. 38% are 10 to 19 area in the intermediate Mm -hmm. portions of the field. And I always want to bring this up because other than like, 
the Chiefs and the Bills, the Seahawks either score from outside of the 20-yard line or they get a red zone possession. And when they get into the red zone, DK Metcalf leads the NFL in team target share inside the 20 this season. So we all know he has the ability to create these big plays and explosives just from between the 20s. But when you get inside it, too, he is their go-to man in that area of the field as well. Yeah. Do we have confirmation? It seems like it's going to be Travis Homer at running back for the Seahawks. Uh, DJ Dallas has been on the injury report, and Travis Homer is at least getting in some limited practices. Do I have that right, Kelly? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure. I don't think that Walker has practiced at all this this week. It doesn't seem like he's going to play this week. I don't know why they would really rush him back. Um, yeah. I would guess it's going to be like a combination of Tony Jones and then Travis uh, Homer. I, I don't know exactly how they're going to split that up because Homer is more of like a third down pass catching back, but he also honestly has looked really good running the ball when he's gotten opportunities this year. So if I was having to choose between starting one guy or the other, I would go Homer. Um, yeah. But I think Tony Jones will probably get a little bit of play just because, um, you know, they'll still try and run the ball a little bit. But um, as Josh, I think you said early on, like they're they're willing to throw the ball like they're not going to like try and, you know, stick to their old like we got to establish run like they're actually been, you know, pretty pass heavy team. They trust, Gino. Uh the thing. I, the other thing I want to add about Gino is just like the way that they get the ball to the line of scrimmage. So they get on the line of scrimmage, they get going and then there's like 17 seconds left on the play clock for him to like do stuff you know and like Love that's so foreign to me because like it always feels like <laughs> you don't get that quite as often or hardly ever now um and that's a big part of like what gino does well too is like he's you know he's 32 he's been around he knows protections um there's so many plays you could point to where he's like setting the protection you know changing whatever and then hitting like a big throw because of yeah. like what he did at the pre-snap phase so um Another reason I want them to resign. We'll have to bring you on in a later date to dive into the Kenneth Walker fantasy football conversation that's going on right now. I don't know if you're like aware of this. All I'll say is Kenneth Walker is a really freaking good football player, and I don't understand whatever the discourse (laughs) is about him right now. Is it because he's boom bust? Is is that what people are worried about? I mean, so is Derek Henry. For another time. (laughs) But yeah. Let's do it that way. I actually have a running back on the opposite end. The bring back, some might say. I'm going to go with Deontay Foreman here on the opposite side. This one's very straightforward. In close games or games that Carolina wins, Deontay Foreman is incredibly impactful for the Panthers' success and just individual production. Um, In blowout contests, which again, as we alluded to, Vegas doesn't think this is. And maybe a part of that is you go from Kenneth Walker, who is a boom running back, to the likes of Travis Homer, DJ Dallas, or even Tony Jones. Um, also the Panthers are coming off a bye and their offensive mm-hmm. line has really gelled, you know, and now they get a little bit of rest. Let's give a post by rookie bump to Iki Aquanu, a left tackle here. There we Hayden go. Wink. Um, and the other part over the last five weeks, according to DVOA, the Seahawks are the worst rushing defense in the league. It's bad. The it's worst. Really bad. We call it the Mario Kart rainbow strip defense. <laughs> Basically any team that plays the Seahawks, it was the Seahawks early in the year and it was the Lions earlier in the year. And then, the Seahawks kind of got better for the middle part of the season. I don't know why. And now they're back to being the, the Mario Kart rainbow strip. It's just like any defense or any offense that plays them. It's just like, oh, my God, we figured it out. We're so good now. They had <laughs> Cam Akers rushing for two touchdowns. You know what I right. mean? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, to me, it's there's a little bit of growing pains happening with them, like switching to the, you know, the too high Fangio style defense. Like, I think Pete Car- there's like some tension, I think, between Pete Carroll and and realizing this is the way he might need to go in the league versus like my old style is and the only thing I've done for 40 years is like single high stuff where you have 
eight men in the box and you stop the run. That's the thing we do first. So I think there's some tension there. I don't know exactly what they're going to do going forward, but um, at the end of the day, there's just not enough talent on that defense, I think. And so um, I would not expect them to like all of a sudden be world beaters again this week. Yeah. And also shout out just like since they traded CMC and did the, the coaching change, they've been top 10 in rushing EPA. So that's like a huge credit to that offensive line, probably most importantly, but Deonta Foreman deserves some credit. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone like the running game is than he was last year, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, Okay. I was going to make another note in the Seahawks, but you know, we're not going to spend 15 minutes here on the Seahawks to open the show. (laughs) If it's your first time here, if you're checking out for the first time, maybe you're coming over from the ringer. Welcome. Hit subscribe. Hit that like button. We love having our friend Danny on the show with us. All right. We go through two names. Uh, your first one, DK, Tony Pollard. Yeah. So this is another one where Tony Pollard and Zeke are sort of interchangeable, I guess. Like in, if you look back over the last like two or three weeks, their their stats are literally like almost exactly the same. Um, I just give Tony Pollard the edge just because I think he's more explosive and he's better and he's just more likely to hit a big play than like Zeke, who's probably going to have some opportunities near the goal line against the Texans. But um, yeah, I mean, to me, this is number one. I believe in Tony Pollard's talent. I think he's just an incredibly good player. Number two, this is the, uh, the other rainbow strip, the Mario Kart rainbow strip Texans defense, um, especially against running backs this year has been really bad. I, I guess they've been a little bit better lately, but um, going back down the list, uh, week 13, Chubb, 17 rushes, 80 yards. Week 11, uh, Robinson and Gibson um, for Washington combined for 33 and 129 on the ground. Saquon in week 10, 35 rushes, 152 yards. Week 8, Derrick Henry, 32 rushes, 219 yards. And then week 7, uh, Jacobs had 143 yards and, t- and three touchdowns against Texans. So it's just like, to me, this is looking like a, pa- a run funnel for the Cowboys. They're probably not going to have much trouble trouble in this game in terms of like getting a lead and keeping it. Uh, you know, the Texans offense, which is already one of the worst in the NFL, is now missing Brandon Cooks and maybe I think Nico Collins. Yep. So I don't even know who's going to be playing for them, to be honest. Like oh, Chris rough. Moore. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Rough. Um, so I don't know. To me, the the especially combined with the fact that the uh Cowboys defense is just incredible. The Cowboys are just going to be able to get a lead and run the ball, I think, in this game. Yeah, I think the only team projected for over 28 points all the way up at 31 uh, and the Texans dead last, uh, not just against fancy running backs, but they're also first in neutral run rate allowed teams are choosing to run it. So that makes like yeah. the Dak Prescott discussion a little bit hard because like on one hand, you have the team total so high. On the other hand, you know, you can pencil in basically 100 yards a pop from Zeke and Pollard in a <laughs> yeah. touchdown a, a piece yeah. uh, given the game script here. Um, so I'm just going to be bullish on all of them. There's not that many teams projected for that many points this week so i'm just going to take flyers on every single cowboys like including like someone like michael gallup i think you can Mm -hmm. even throw in yeah i've legit gotten questions about cd lamb because people are so nervous that he's not going to play like the entire second half my mindset going into that is if a team is up by 17 points of the half or in this case 30 points of the half potentially because that's what the texans faced just a couple weeks ago that means the superstars did their job you know that means that they got the points and look Real points, unless they're all defensive touchdowns, which legit might happen this yeah. week with the Cowboys and and you know versus Davis Mills. That was my um, only. That was going to be my only response. Is like the only thing right. that could like foil our plans here is if Cowboys score like three defensive <laughs> touchdowns. But yeah. Um. Now and to your point, is it Pollard or is it Zeke? Not pitting the two against each other, but just naturally when they're splitting, not reps 50-50 per se, but it's as close as it's almost ever been when both players are healthy. Mm-hmm. I've always leaned towards the Tony Pollard scenario of that. 
when big plays are possibilities, when explosive plays are possibilities. And even, again, the shadowy risk team over here has Tony Pollard at 90 and a half rushing yards plus receiving yards as the higher or lower. And for Zeke, that's just at 78 and a half. Now, obviously, Zeke is more likely to get that short yardage touchdown and those opportunities can present themselves. But the Texans are so bad that 10, 12, 16, 24, 34 yard scores for Tony Pollard are, are absolutely within the realm of possibility. So yeah. fire, fire up everybody. Fire up everybody. All right. Hayden, uh, that game just as a total of 44, despite the, again, Cowboys leading and projected by 17 and a half points. The one with the biggest total of the weekend or second, I guess now is the Vikings and the lions. We have two lines here. And the first one up from you is a guy who's been a quietly productive over the last few weeks. DJ Chark. Ooh. Yeah, so the last two weeks, 9.7 and 8.0 expected half PPR points. I'm only calling him like an upside flex play. We don't have to get carried away. But 42 <laughs> of 45 routes last week. He's fully healthy, not even on the injury report right now. I think they're going to ease in Jameson uh, Williams. And even if they do yeah. bring in Jameson Williams, I think that they would put him in as a number three receiver, not the number two receiver. we got to keep in mind uh, – they gave him $10 million. I think that the Lions think TJ Shark is a, a legit starter, and so do I. Um, we just haven't heard about him because he's been injured this entire season. But I don't think that means we can hold that against him for this week when he's off the injury report. Third highest team total of the week. Both the Vikings and the Lions are top 10 in neutral pace. So I think there's going to be a ton of plays involved uh, this week. Uh, obviously, starting Amon Ross St. Brown, the Vikings are 31st against fantasy receivers. And right now, the Vikings secondary is missing Andrew Booth, Lewis seen those are two young uh, uh, secondary options. And then Cameron Dancer's questionable to play. He's been on injured reserve. Uh, we'll see if he can fire up. Even if he does, though, we know there's going to be so much play volume. I think that DJ Shark, if you're looking for somebody, uh, a dart throw, hope you get a 40-yard touchdown. I think that DJ Shark belongs at the very top of the list this week. I like Absolutely. that a lot. Yeah. I mean, early on, Danny, at least, you know, the season's so long. <laughs> that you remember the opinions that you held for months during yeah. this offseason. I was in on DJ Chark. And then in the first opening weeks, every time you would watch the Lions, it would be like one or two big plays just out of the grasp of DJ Chark's hands because yeah. of like a misfire from Jared Goff or some drop pass that he had. And I'm not saying that those are like quite hitting yet, but he did go through that spell, obviously, when he was injured. And now that he's back, it feels like this avenue of success is definitely open against a Vikings defense that Hayden alluded to plays a ton of zone coverage and it gives up a ton of explosive plays. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I think that's hurting Chark in general is just like people sticking to, and I'm not actually going to say that Jared Goff is like a really good quarterback, but like no. the Jared Goff narratives coming into the year were not good. Like, obviously we thought it was just, you know, a little bit less than like a bridge quarterback. It's like, they're going to be terrible with him. He's been pretty good, honestly. And like their offense in, in almost every category, like efficiency category, scoring category is top 10. Jared Goff is top 10 in like almost every category that you want. EPA per play, EPA total, touchdown passes, yards per attempt, uh, QBR and pass rating. He's right there in the top 10, top 11. Um, you know, and he's been so good on play action. They, I think I, I heard Greg Cosell saying this a couple times this week, like they run, 130 plays of play action and a hundred of those plays are under center. So he's good at like marrying the run with the pass kind of deal. Yep. Cause obviously they're going to like run like a smash mouth type offense too. Um, and shark, that's where chart comes in. Like he's that deep threat. He can go up and get the ball. I actually think he's pretty good at the catch point. And yeah, I mean, I've got like a few, I think I remember he dropped a touchdown early in the season and that kind of like sticks with you. Um, 
but I overall think he's still a good player. And so I like this one a lot. I don't, I don't think Jamison Williams, they only played him like one or two snaps last week. So I think they're going to be really careful with him. I wouldn't expect them to like take over for Chark this week. Um, so, yeah. My next one is DeAndre Swift in the same game. And look, he's not playing feature back snaps, but this is mainly coming from the idea of the style of defense that the Vikings run and what they've allowed over the last few weeks to running backs in general. So again, they're like, 31st or 32nd and man coverage snaps so far. They give so much focus to the middle of the field that just naturally these swings or check downs to running backs have consistently hit against this Vikings defense. And just to the tune of, you know, Tony Pollard having six catches for 109 yards and two touchdowns a few weeks ago. Ramondre Stevenson had nine catches for 76 yards in the game that they just had. Ty Johnson and Zonovan Knight combined for 11 catches. So, like, we have seen, and it's not the same style of defense, but uh, the Atlanta Falcons, you know, a handful of years ago, invited so many receptions to running backs that they played so far off. This is a little bit different, but again, the shell and the structure of defensively and the Vikings have not changed that all season long where we've seen Jared Goff, to bring up that name before, thrive with the Rams of check downs to Todd Gurley in the structure and in the phase of the play. And I think DeAndre Swift, above everyone else, is that guy and it's perfectly hitting at the time that I think he has earned back a little bit of trust for this team. What's crazy, they're first in uh, expected half PPR points to their running backs by a wide margin. Wow. And there's still room for more upside for both of them because Justin Jackson is like legitimately getting touches and, and snaps early in the game too. So if they ever were to remove him, we could even see these two running backs pop off. So yeah, this is like Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott. The t- we believe that both of the, these running backs are pretty good. And the team total is so electric compared to uh these other teams this week that i think that both of them are starts and that deandre swift could really pop off um just i hope that he gets in a full, another full practice because he's back on the injury report with an ankle i haven't heard anything negative about that but i right. think that based on the last week he looks good yeah load management hopefully um yeah and i had swift also on my list here Sweet. um and part of the reason is I, everything that josh said in addition to the fact he just to the eye test he looked way better he looked like the guy that we saw at the beginning of the year um going back to like first couple of games of the season he to me looked like he had completely turned a corner and was playing out of his mind he looked electric he was like taking the right tracks he just looked really confident there i think there is a confidence thing going on with swift a little bit here you know there's been whispers like and people who watched hard i didn't watch hard knocks but just like hearing secondhand it's like the coaches are really hard on him. They were on him. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was some confidence stuff happening. And then of course he wasn't getting as much playing time there. It almost felt like they were sort of like phasing around. They just trusted Jamal Williams more. And then obviously, like you said, they're playing Justin uh, Jackson. And to me coming out last week, he looked really good. He was explosive. He was fired up. Like there was like a chip on the shoulder kind of look. So this is a little bit like, narrative streety of course like but like the the underlying numbers were way way better for him you know he went from five rushing attempts in week 12 to 14 um you know his his snap count was at over 50 percent. he actually led the team in snaps which is great you know he's getting a lot of the two minute offense stuff so like all that underlying is really is really good for him and then you know we've talked about it all year but like jamal williams getting the just most incredible amount of one yard rushing touchdowns <laughs> like if we get him to people to stop falling down on the one yard line, like there's some, I think 
potentially po- uh, positive regression there for DeAndre Swift too. Cause I, th- I feel like just based off memory, he's fallen down on the one, li- one yard line a few times this year. Yes. And yeah. Early in the season, he kept doing it. it yeah. So, and then they of course just sub him out immediately. Um, so yeah, he's another guy that I think he's trending in the right direction. Vikings are giving up the fifth most points to running backs this year. Obviously I think a lot of that is in the passing game too. And so, yeah, I just like him. I fire him up this week just generally. And like, we didn't really say this, but like, to me, this week is gross from a yes. fantasy point of view. Aiden kept messaging me before yeah. the show being like, I don't even have five. Well, I didn't even bring five names, to be honest with you. I brought yeah. four. It was yeah. that bad. There's, uh, num- <laughs> there's, a, there's a confluence of events happening here. There's a terrible amount of buys, which is annoying. Yeah. There's a bunch of guys that are coming off of injury, and you can't really trust them. And you're like, I don't know what to do. This guy like David Njoku who's like, yep. Apparently he's going to play, but like, I do, I feel confident like that. He's going to play a lot or play the, like play the whole game. You know, you got Mixon coming off to a two week absence from concussion. What do we do with that? And then also, um, there was a third reason, which I'm blanking on, but it's just, I, like had, I had another, it was all the good teams are playing good defenses this week. Yes, like the Bills and all them are just down four or five points where they could be. Yeah, yeah, the matchups are just brutal. So, and I felt like there were a lot of yeah. obvious names too. And like, how fun is it to bring up obvious names over and over and over again? So, <laughs> right. Mm. So, anyways, uh, these are a few of like the bright spots and what to me is like just a brutal week of of fantasy, especially considering it's going into the playoffs. You know, for or last week of the regular season. So, yeah. One one final point on DeAndre Swift and brought this up in stats versus film. Um, in the first fifteen carries he had of the season he had five that went for 10 plus yards he's only had three on his next 49 carries this season so mm. that kind of speaks to you turning like you saying he turned the corner earlier this year but no matter what he's always had receptions in his back and that's where he's yeah. always thrived in forcing this tackles and that perfectly again lines up with the vikings defense um all right hayden i got another one in this game oh you do yeah dalvin cook oh Ooh. we go um yeah so obviously the lions are 30th in rushing epa they've been absolutely getting shredded on the ground, especially early in the season. But I, I do think overall, even they, even though they have been playing better recently, I still think it's a really good matchup. Um, he ran around on more than half of Minnesota's dropbacks last week, and that's kind of gone in flux throughout the season. Uh, but now that he's really removed from that injury in the middle part of the season, he is playing slightly more, and he's actually a positive regression candidate. He's been averaging negative 1.6 uh, points over expected, according to my model over the last month. I think that he's due for a big game. We really haven't seen that from Dalvin Cook, but I know he still has it in him. And it's just kind of weird um, career low yards per target. But I think that this is a game. The pace gets really high and there's both teams are passing the ball. I can see him spring off a big play in the past game. We haven't not seen that this entire season. His yards per targets all the way down to the threes, which is insane to me. And then lastly, for like uh, DFS uh, bros out there, this is definitely leverage off of Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkins, who I think are both going to be extremely popular in this. So especially in like battle Royale contest, I'm going to be uh, pr- pretty heavy on Dalvin cook. I think the matchup plus the game theory elements are all lining up for him. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, all right. I will go next and I'll go with uh, Jalen Waddle. This is the other Ooh, game that nice. has a massive total in this game. Uh, it's uh, this week. I should say, they are three-point favorites on the road against the Chargers. Total of 52 and a half in this game. Um, it's so easy to love Tyreek Hill, right? And even last week, as we discussed, as everyone discussed, to having a, a down game, Tyreek still gets his. Hayden, uh, you've talked about it with me during this week's show where maybe Jalen hasn't been as consistent with his opportunity and as much as we've seen from Tyreek in week to week. But when I just view the Chargers' defense – like not only do they have Kenneth Walk 
uh, Kenneth Murray still playing linebacker next to Drew Tranquil, who's who's good, but Kenneth Murray is not. And this passing attack has just eviscerated linebackers in the intermediate portion over and over and over again. That I feel like this is going to be one of those weeks that Jalen Waddle pops up. And while the Chargers have structured their defense over the last few years to try to prevent big plays, as our buddy Rich Rebar pointed out here, they've given up 26 plays this season of 30-plus yards. That's worst in the league. They have 13 touchdowns from outside the red zone this year. That's worst in the NFL. You know, 43% scoring rate per drive. That's 29th in the league. So despite playing this, like, bend but don't break, hey, we're going to prevent explosives, the Chargers aren't doing any of that. And so I fully expect, even though it's on the road in L.A., maybe that's not on the road per se. Um, Does that matter? (laughs) I, I fully expect... Tua and company, even with the offensive line potential struggles that they've had to get right on track again. And it's not just Tyreek, but I think Jalen Waddle has a massive week 14. Chargers defense right now is so injured. They have three defensive tackles on injured reserve. Sebastian Joseph Day isn't practicing. That's another defensive tackle. Joey Bosa hasn't played this season. Uh, Derwin James hasn't practiced this week with a quad injury. JC Jackson on injured reserve. I don't care if you have, you can put 13 safeties on the field and try to prevent big plays. If you don't have the talent, it doesn't really matter. So I agree that this should be a massive game uh, for both offenses. I'll get to a name in a second here. But yeah, Jalen Waddle is due his injury. It was uh, a thigh bruise or something. Fibula. fibula. He was on an yeah. injury report as a fibula, which I've yeah. never, I don't know if I've ever seen but that. I think it's I a was bruise. Gonna ask about that. <laughs> it must be a bruise because usually they say leg. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were very specific with this one, which I don't, I don't understand. But I think he went. I, I think did he go to say either? Yeah, it's, he's close to it or something. Okay, so that's good. Yeah, I, I, he was obviously hobbled last week, and they desperately needed him last week. But just when you put these two talents up there, I don't think the talent gap is as drastic as the opportunities have kind of been for the this duo over the course of the season. And we've seen, you know, huge spike weeks for Jalen Waddle. And I expect this on paper, it should be another one against, again, a defense that allows so many explosives. I think so. just this offense in general, it's such a, I feel like it's pretty unique. I mean, I, I'm not like a scholar of NFL history necessarily, but like, is there, has there ever been an offense like this where you have two guys with so much gravity? Um, right. And for, But like, I guess that's probably happened before, but like in the same way, you know what I mean? They have like the same type of skill set where, you're really stretching the defense and stressing the way that you can sort of like defend different zones, like the geometry of how the defense has to play. Like to me, I, I don't know if I, we've ever seen this combination of speed in an offense before. And so, um, and it actually has been working well with like the skill set that Tua has. Obviously, he was off last week. He just missed some throws that he probably should have made. But um, Tua, like hitting his back foot, getting the ball out, like he's got a low time to throw and a high A dot. And it's like that, Tom Brady last year. That combination is pretty dangerous. And so, um, you know, for everything, all the debate about to it, God, this is like the bad faith Super Bowl. I've been calling it like <laughs> just so many bad faith arguments. Like, can we just we don't have to compare Tua versus Herbert for everything. But of course, they're playing this week. So, um, but yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a fun game. Yeah, sure. I think that the big uh, the new thing about this Dolphins offense is kind of reminds me of, like the peak Lamar offenses where every throw is over the middle. Mm-hmm. For some reason, the Dolphins have unlocked. Every throw is over the middle. Like right now, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Walla, where their A dot is, a complete outlier for how the percentage of their throws over the middle. That's the most efficient part of the entire field is 20 yards downfield right over the middle. And two, his arm strength doesn't come into play right. as much right. with that. And it actually plays through the strengths. He's a very accurate quarterback. So, yeah, this is, 
I, I don't remember anything like this. No, also, we, we have a whole episode on scheme with Josh McCown breaking this all down. If you guys want to go check that out. Um, it was really, really informative. The only thing I could see standing in their way is if like the linebackers just totally don't play the running backs at all, at all. Like do not take any forward steps and just retreat into the intermediate portion. But if that's the case. Then hello, Jeff Wilson. Hello, Raheem Mostert. And they're going to torch you in that department too. So yeah. Yeah. I almost um, put, uh, Raheem Mostert on my list. I just wish I had more some cl- a little more clarity on the running back rotation, but Raheem's skill set against these linebackers, dangerous. Uh, you brought Justin Herbert too. I did. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just they're getting pieces. <laughs> yeah, back. Tell me about this one. I want to hear this one. <laughs> they're they're getting pieces back, and that's what I'm bullish on right here. Corey Lindsley uh, seems like he's going to play. Big Mike Williams is back. It, he was a full, right? Yes. Yeah. So, that's what I'm holding on to. And I don't, the way that the Dolphins play, where they like uh, just put like six or seven uh, defenders on the line of scrimmage, these amoeba friends, and try to confuse uh, inexperienced quarterbacks. You saw this with Jared Goff, you saw it with Brock Purdy. I don't think you can do that with Justin Herbert, especially if Corey Lindsay's back. I think they'll be able to sort this thing out. Justin Herbert's one of his primary uh, strengths. He's not going to take uh, sacks. So I think if they try to play that type of defense and they have Mike Williams back, who I think is their best uh, wide receiver against man coverage, I think that there's some opportunity here. And both of these teams are number one and number two in neutral pass rate. And right now the Chargers are playing number one pass rate, number uh, two in neutral pace. So there's opportunities for a bunch of pass attempts. And you can't tell me that the narratives, uh, that's a must-win game for the playoff picture. I think that Justin Herbert is going to put an end to this mess and hang up like wow. 300 plus yards, three touchdowns. Ooh. And I think it'll be unquestioned who the better actual quarterback is. Shoot him up, shoot him, shoot him up in the ribs right before the game. Hopefully nothing. <laughs> we need that there. too. Yeah. Hopefully he's healthy and maybe they'll actually air some of these things. Like we saw the, the coaches said that, that the rib injury was impacting this. I like to see no excuses big bikes out there. I've heard that too. Just kind of like it's circulating around that. That's really been affecting him a lot. Obviously, he's not the type of guy that's probably going to complain about it too much. But um, off the top of your head, I, you guys might have this in front of you, but how, how many games has Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer, and Mike Williams played together like full games this year? Like This season? I don't any? know if a single one. Maybe one. They, <laughs> Maybe they might one, have yeah. opened and started one, but then someone got injured halfway through. Right, exactly. Um, I think this is just from a big picture. Like Josh Palmer surprised me with how good he's been. I, I don't think he's like in a superstar or anything. Um, but like <laughs> he, he's looked really good to me and he's been earning targets and he's been doing he, to me, it just like, again, I haven't like gone back and watched all 22 on him in particular, but like, he's making tough catches. He's been, he's like a big player. He's got like those magnet hands. Um, a lot of the reasons, like I liked him coming into the NFL, he's, he's starting to show up. Cause there was a time there where I was like, eh, I don't know if he's actually that okay. good. Um, <laughs> but he's kind of turned it around in my opinion. So like having three pretty good playmakers, you know, like Caden was saying, like, this is the, I think this is the first time they're all on the field together. So it's going to be fun to watch. I'm a little terrified of this one. Now you're <laughs> on the boat of over 300 yards. So is the pick'em lobby. They have Justin Herbert projected for 310 total yards. I think the dolphins aren't having to blitz and, you know, pack the line as much as they have over the last few years because of this addition of Bradley Chubb. Like they kind of understand that, Hey, we're going to have to be able to win rushing with four. If we really want to like be good, not saying the dolphins defense is good at all, but I think they're more balanced in doing that and bring out the exotic stuff when they feel like they need to. Now, I also think that this goes back to 
the idea of Austin Eckler being the only back that they trust in pass protection. And when they do send those extra people, how is that going to impact Austin Eckler's day as well? Um, this is a huge reason why, and this is a bit of a galaxy brain thing, but why he was playing so much last year is because they had zero trust in anyone. Um, just a thought. So if like Austin Eckler doesn't have as many receptions as he typically did, as he typically does, I wouldn't be shocked because of when they do bring extra people, if, he, if he's forcing to stick in and pass pro. So I think there'd be so many pass attempts, first and second neutral pass rate. This game, I think could get absolutely really ridiculous. Fun. Yeah. Um, all right. Just four more names here. Danny, who's next for you? Ramondre Stevenson. Oh, yeah. Um, I could make this argument even if I thought Ramondre Stevenson sucked because Damian Harris, as of Friday, just I think a few minutes ago, he's still not practicing. Um, So last week we saw Stevenson get 98% of the snaps for the Patriots. Like that alone, I think, would be enough to like just tell you guys that I think you should play him. Um, But also, I think he's awesome. I think he's a really good player. I think he's, you know, got a full skill set both in the run game and the passing game. over the last, it's actually kind of blowing my mind over the last, like uh, since week five, since he took over like a full-time role with the Patriots, he's basically being used like peak, like Camara peak uh, Eckler, like a pass catching and running back. Like, you know what I mean? Like he has like that, that CMC esque ability to be like two players in one slot on your roster, on your, in your lineup, because he's been so good in the passing game in that stretch since week five. He's fourth among running backs and targets behind Eckler, CMC, and Kamara. He's fourth in uh, receiving yards. He's second among all those players in target rate, 22%. 22% target rate for a running back. Insane. That's awesome. Um, I don't know if we've been talking about it enough, honestly, that he's like turned into like a Kamara-type player. Um, and I heard over the offseason um, that this is like how they see him. Like he's like a Kamara-type player. He's that good in the passing game. And so it's cool to see it coming into fruition. Obviously, with the Patriots, it's always so confusing with how they're going to use their running backs. It's always like a thorn in our side in terms of projecting how they're going to go. But with Damian Harris still not practicing on Friday, I think he's going to get the vast majority of the snaps this week. doesn't even really matter who they're playing. Um, they, they're playing the Cardinals, but like I just feel good about this. I love when we can you know separate a statistical comparison for a player like you did with Alvin Kamara, even though like the aesthetic and the right, build right. and the the player type is so drastically different than who Ramondre is on the field. But I'm with you. Like despite being a big back, he has a ton of balance and he's actually yeah. at times not his best in between the guards and in between the tackles. It's like he dances getting out in space and yeah. like either on contact winning or just being super nimble for a guy that size and creating yards in his own. I mean, it's why I fell in love with him over the summer and I'm with you. Like I do believe that this offense and this backfield is going to be much more compact to just Damien and just Ramondre. But now when it's even more to just one player and there's zero trust in anyone else to be shoved out there, because there's no Ty Montgomery, there's no Brandon Bolden. There's none of that stuff. Then it's the Mondre show. My yeah. only concern is it's the Patriots offense and like what is the true ceiling there? But right. like, does that impact the volume? No, it does not really. And the Patriots like weirdly are projected for 23 points, which is like above average this week because all these other teams are so bad. So even with like the Patriots offense being bad, we know they're not going to pass the ball. I think part of the reason why his target share is so high is these wide receivers, man, right. are so Rough. terrible. So they have to check the ball down to him. Uh, Josh, I know you're sick and tired of my 2023 rankings. I have Ramondre Stevenson inside the top 24 for next year. I'm oh, yeah. sick and tired of hearing them for like 21 hours. 
Well, I'm going to keep mentioning <laughs> They were brought up with the first time yesterday. <laughs> no, I'm well, kidding. Um, okay, I have someone in the same game, I believe, and I can't believe right. I'm doing this. It's Kyler Murray. <laughs> yes. Love it. Like, this is me just, you know, putting it on the table and being like, look, this can be totally wrong, but let's have some fun here. You know, I this is the first game all season long that we get DeAndre Hopkins, Marquise Brown, and Greg Dortch on the field. Dorched. All right? Yeah. Get Dorched. Um, this is also a defense that, look, if from our seats, we know that Kyler Murray is working behind a less than average offensive line, that's an issue against a good pass rush, right? That has Matt Judon on one side and then like a nice curveball and Josh Uche on the other. If we also understand that Kyler Murray doesn't like to throw in the middle of the field, Steve and Bill Belichick will also know this. But what we know over the course of history against a Bill Belichick defense is that he significantly struggles against running quarterbacks late in downs, right? So when everything is covered well down the field, guys who can extend on those second and third and long situations. Lamar Jackson had 107 yards doing that earlier this year, and namely Justin Fields had 82 yards and a touchdown doing that later in downs. And Kyler coming off that hamstring, now coming out of a bye, looks prepped and primed to still run the football. And so it might not be a beautiful day from the start until the end of the game, but I bet it'll do just enough because that's what Kyler's done all season long of getting top 12 scoring weeks. And this could be a top seven scoring week this week. Yeah, Patriots deep. It's so interesting because they play some really bad offenses and absolutely sh- destroy them. And then some of like the mediocre to good offenses could have their way. So yeah, I think a lot of those metrics that you said about the, the running back or the rushing quarterbacks having success, a lot of man coverage. And unless you have a linebacker, that's really fast. I can keep up with Kyler Murray, which I don't think that the Patriots necessarily have. You can start seeing some of these scrambles for 10 yards to your point that you opened with. You really can put them in two buckets of, Hey, or is it our young or rookie or inexperienced or bad quarterback? And then the good ones know how to beat a Bill Belichick defense. I still don't know which one I'd put Kyler Murray in on a series in, series out standpoint. And Cliff Kingsbury. And Cliff Kingsbury, like this whole package together. Because I think Kyler is much better than the ones that he dominates. But at times it feels like this is so stagnant and scripted and not creative that it could easily fall in that first bucket too, Danny Kelly. Yeah, the the only thing I was worried about, like when he was coming back from the hamstring injury, because I had him as a buy low target and then he missed an extra game. And I was like, shoot, like I might have jumped the gun on this. Maybe this hamstring injury is more serious than we thought. And maybe this will affect like his whole game, because like, obviously he's so good on improvising. And basically once Cliff is out of the equation and they're like, hey, Kyler, go do something like go help us win. That's when he really tends to shine like later in the game. Um so I was worried that my thesis is like that he's going to just get better as the season goes on was totally thrown off by the hamstring injury. However, I will say he looked pretty fast yep. um, even before the bye. He was going full bore as a rusher, as like an improviser and running around. He looked like he's, you know, like the, you know, like the Ducati motorcycle or whatever you want to say. Like he's just like zooming around and like he looked like himself. So that's really encouraging, especially now they coming off of a bye. So um yeah, I'm excited to see. Obviously, I don't have a lot of faith in the passing game. I, it, I do think with Hopkins and Marquise Brown, who's also very, to me, underrated player just in yeah. general. Um, it would have been fun to see Rondell in there, too. It doesn't look like he might he might not play this week. He's I don't think he's practicing as of yesterday. He is, he is not, no. Um, 
but Dorch is really good too. So like they have some good weapons um, in, in the passing game. So even if the scheme isn't like necessarily going to be creating much, like there's just so good and they're moving uh, Hopkins around a little bit more this year, which is I think productive. And so, yeah, I feel good about this. And, and Kyler's still a guy that I think could like quietly be um, not a league winner, but he'll win you. He might win you a week or two here down the stretch. Final note. We haven't seen any verticality from this team at all, like deep plays. And so it's easy to bring that up being like, oh, they don't throw that down the field. Kyler has like the lowest completion, you know, yardage in the league. But what if like we just see that the rest of the time? Like that's the other part of this. Like what if it just, you know, turns the corner with health, with players coming back that that just is now something that happens way more often than it hasn't happened so far this year. I don't know if that made sense, but like, I feel like with these pass catchers, that is something that should happen and it just hasn't so far. So it helps Patriots corner Jalen Mills on the injury report with a groin injury didn't practice. So that would potentially mm-hmm. open some things up downfield. Um, okay. That was my bold call, Danny. You brought one and Hayden's going to love this one. <laughs> so this is Short my seconds. narrative. This yes. is my narrative street one. Um, you know, obviously, like the numbers from last week are disconcerting, uh, you know, and like obviously this offense, you can't really have a ton of faith in it. But I've always been a subscriber to the squeaky wheel thing. Like receivers should want the ball. Every receiver does want the ball. But like the ones that are like really vocal about it, a lot of times, number one, the coach will hear that. And most importantly, the quarterback will hear that. And so, you know, the storyline this week with George Pickens wanting the ball, he's like screaming at like his quarterback and the coaches like in a game that they're winning. It's, I just love that. Like he's got that dog in him. Um, and Tomlin came out and backed him up and said he'd rather say whoa than sick him. And I'm like, yes, I love Tomlin. I've, I've generally just fallen more in love with Tomlin over the last few years. Like he just seems like the guy like he's just so good at managing like different personalities and guys that are, of course, like a little bit on the margins in terms of their complete sanity, I would say. And so, um, yeah, to me, this is just a week where Pickens wants the ball and he's been very vocal about it. And I think Pickett will go out of his way to get him the football versus last week where he's just not really part of the game plan. So it's, it's a narrative based prediction, but I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful for it. And I think Pickens is good, obviously too. Josh, I have to admit, uh, due to cancel culture, I did not pick George Pickens on this <laughs> list, but I was definitely considering it for a reason that goes beyond no, the narrative. You're not. Uh, right now, teams facing the Ravens, like you said, Josh, on our last show, what is their their rushing EPA stats have been the last couple of weeks since they've traded? They've been phenomenal. Right. So teams are choosing to pass the ball against the Ravens right. at top five rates in the NFL, and that's been leading to some production. And... I think that there's the way that the Ravens play very aggressive. We've seen Marcus Peters peaking. Uh, and I think that they are vulnerable to some big plays. If I had to pick a wide receiver on the Steelers to create a big play, it would be George Pickett. So look for some of these man-to-man matchups, very aggressive defense. And I don't think that Najee Harris can be able to run on this Ravens uh, front seven. So we can see some George Pickett's down the sidelines. The other yeah. thing to add real quick is, and I don't know if this is just load management because I think it's been going on for a couple of weeks here, but uh, Deontay Johnson didn't practice on Thursday. And so that might just be like, Hey, this is the cadence that we do this, but something to watch if, if Deontay Johnson's either not playing or if he's limited somewhat, that could also be good for Pickens. I don't know, Hayden, this kind of sounds like you want to give the, uh, can he pick at higher 212 and a half passing yards in the pick and lobby? <laughs> I may or may not have a slip build up. <laughs> no, that's so good. What gross. do you guys think of Pickett? Have no, you liked I mean, him? 
he's he's Taylor Heineke ish to me. He's like <laughs> I think I think better than that. Irrational yeah. confidence. He he's in that vein to me. I I don't know where he dominates. You know, I don't know where he can lift. Yeah. everything. That that yeah. that's my that's my thing. But he's unless Desmond Ritter comes out, he's almost certainly the best quarterback from this class. But what is that going to say in the right. end? Right. Um. All right, Hayden, get us out of here with Rashad White. Yeah, so Leonard Fournette pops up on the injury report on Thursday with a foot injury, doesn't practice. He still seems like he's trying to play, um, but we'll see what happens. The matchup isn't good on paper, and I still, even as somebody that's on my list, will not argue that this is a good matchup against the 49ers. Right now, uh, the Bucks opened this week uh, tied for the second lowest team total on the week. But if there is a spot where Rashad White could dominate it's going to be as a pass catcher. He has nine and eight targets in his last two weeks. And I wonder if that correlates with uh, right tackle Tristan Wirfs being out. Josh and I have talked about it. Tom Brady doesn't seem like he wants to take that many hits this year. I don't blame him for that. Yeah. He's not been throwing the ball downfield. I don't think he would have the time against this 49ers defensive line to do that. So I can just see a bunch of targets here. Lots of checkdowns. Chris Godwin. I, I I don't think that I would be like super bullish on like yards and touchdowns, but pure receptions. I think that Chris Godwin can get there, and I think that Rashad White can get there, especially if Leonard Fournette is out. Can I ask a question? If Chris Godwin operates in the same areas where the 49ers took away for the Dolphins last week, why are we so bullish on Chris Godwin this week? I've seen a lot of quick out routes to Chris okay. Godwin this year, and I think that's an opportunity for him. I think they'll scheme up Chris Godwin by himself. Um, You're right. Everything is kind of five to seven to and that's four why they've yards. Been, quick they, that's why they've been bad because yeah. those those type of throws are not good. When you have to Correct. throw the ball uh, 25 yards in the air to pick up four yards, usually not a good throw. But <laughs> it has helped uh, Chris Godwin in uh, uh, PPR leagues. Um, and last qu- quick note on Rashad White for Battle Royale. You have to react to late news because the teams that have already drafted, those lineups are locked in. If Leonard Fournette is out, you have to react to Rashad White and Battle Royale. He's going completely undrafted in those leagues. So for a contrarian GPP play, I think that Rashad White can get there just based off receptions alone. Cool. The other thing is, I'm looking at the actual injury report right now at TampaBayBuccaneers.com or whatever. Like, he's not even on it. Like, it's a late ad. And so this might be under people's radars a little bit if they're not on Twitter or whatever. So, <laughs> I mean, that might be more like a redrafting. I'm sure DFS is different, but um, yeah, that's an opportunity right there to go pick him up if he's out there. Love that. If you have never played Battle Royale, uh, I would recommend go doing it. It's $5 drafts, six person uh, in your league. Uh, it's only six rounds. Uh, the payouts are what, 25K to first place, Aiden? Like a couple yep. weeks ago, the person who entered for their first time, one draft won the whole damn thing. If I could point you to one spot that I think is a little leverage play again, since there's only six teams, only six quarterbacks are selected. The seventh is Jared Goff. Uh, that is a high total in that game and high totals mean points. And especially in the passing game to Amon Ross St. Brown and Deandre Swift, as we outlined. So Jared Goff is a little again, leverage as the seventh quarterback to bypass the Geno's or the Burroughs potentially so on and so forth. And DJ Chark, don't forget. And DJ Chark, correct, correct, correct. All right, that's going to do it for us. Danny Kelly, this was the greatest. Thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah. Um, happy to be on your show, you know, next August or September or anytime this offseason. We'd yeah, love to absolutely. do it. You guys seem to have a lot of fun, and I always need more fun in my life. 
<laughs> yeah, we should have you on. I love that. Um, I'm excited for all the uh, the off season stuff where we get to actually see each other. Yep. Um, you know, the combine and maybe the Super Bowl, all that stuff. Like, obviously, in uh, in sports media, it's funny because like for most of the year, unless you're like at the games, like we don't see each other, and then like it's just one big party when we all get together. So yeah, that's awesome. But and if are... you guys go ahead. go ahead, Josh. Nope. I was just to say, and if you guys ha- haven't seen, Danny Kelly gets to pen. Uh, some content in the offseason on the most beautifully designed website oh, on yeah. the planet. Uh, so the Ringers, the Ringers uh, digital stuff is out of control. Nice. Right. Ringer Danny, fantasy draft guide, or sorry, Ringer NFL draft guide. We also have a fantasy draft guide too. So yeah. Danny writes for 10 hours a day and then codes for the other 14 hours. <laughs> yeah. He built this himself, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that I get to take credit for this. It's, it's amazing. Um, I could write anything on there and then people still be like, whoa, this looks good. Yes. <laughs> All right, go and check out all of Danny's stuff. Again, we'll be back here on Sunday morning for our Start Sit show at 10.30 Eastern. And go and check out Scheme. Great episode today uh, on the Dallas Cowboys. Man, they're versatile. They do a lot of cool stuff. And C.D. Lamb is just ascending in front of everyone. And just his connection right now with uh, Dak Prescott is sensational. And Josh Brown had some great conversations with Dak this summer and uh, was very open about those in that episode. Let's put it that way. All right, for Hayden, for Danny, I'm Josh. Up the Villa. We'll talk to y'all soon. See ya. <laughs>